Are you looking to get better at discipling others for Jesus? If so, this new teaching series is specially for you. My name is Peter Botros, and it's my absolute honor and privilege to have your company as we commence this brand new teaching series called Band of Disciples. Band of Disciples. And this particular teaching series, it has one single purpose, and that is to equip you with biblical and educational strategies to get better at discipling others for Jesus. And this is my assumption. I assume that you have already been prompted by God to engage with this discipleship movement that Jesus established uh, 2,000 odd years ago on uh, planet Earth. And maybe you are already engaged in discipling others through uh, small groups or uh, mentoring relationships or whatever it might be. Uh, Maybe you're looking for some uh, fresh ideas to continue your development as a discipler. Or maybe you're just exploring what does discipleship mean in the Christian uh, tradition. So thank you so much for being with us as we commence uh, this series, which will have almost three mini-series within the series. Uh, The first set of teaching sessions uh, will be uh, concerned with the discipling calling. The second set of teachings will be all about the discipling community. And the third set of teachings will be about the discipling competency, the discipling competency. And we're hoping uh, that uh, these uh, teaching sessions will provide a three-dimensional approach uh, to making authentic Jesus-like disciples wherever you may be. Uh, Today, we're going to start our exploration of the discipling calling and with a very primitive question, and that is, what is discipling? What is uh, discipling? You might say, Peter, that's a really simple question. And we know we're going to waste our time thinking about, you know, what most of us Christians would, would, um, you know, would say is a straightforward answer. Uh, And I wonder if it is. In fact, uh, in a book called Discipleship Defined, The author, Eric Russ, writes this confronting quote. He says, Discipleship is a popular word, often used vaguely and ambiguously, but rarely used biblically. Many churches, even well-intentioned, God-fearing, Christ-loving, and Bible-centered churches muddle the definition of discipleship and therefore abandon any intentionality of it. Abandoning any intentionality 
of it. And when discipleship is not clearly defined, when the question what is discipling is not clearly articulated, we abandon any intentionality of it. That's true. I would dare say there is even a more dangerous uh, outcome of ill-defined um, understanding of discipling, and that is we intentionally pursue the wrong model of discipling. We either don't pursue it intentionally or we intentionally pursue the wrong model. And that's why we want today uh, to provide a simplistic uh, view and even throughout the entire series, we hope to provide a simple view of discipling uh, using the metaphor of a music band, a musical uh, you know, metaphor to discipling. And uh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to confess that up uh, up up front is that I'm no musician whatsoever. I I don't know. Um, you know, even you think about our family, we weren't musically gifted family. Uh, even though I think my dad would beg to differ, uh, but we didn't grow up in a in you know with uh, with musical instruments and the like. Except when we migrated to Melbourne, Australia, uh, in nineteen eighty nine. And my dad somehow, I was, I was a teenager at the time, and my dad somehow got his hand on this very uh, beautiful, I would imagine, expensive piece of equipment, a new keyboard. And that keyboard had some funky little, uh, you know, programs associated with it where you could click some buttons and, and, and the keyboard will have different sounds. You know, it might be the violin, it might sound like a piano, it might sound like the saxophone. I don't know. It's just, you know, you, you press different buttons. It's like, you know, crazy sounds come out. And my dad, I never actually watched my dad ever um, act like a musician. Uh, he may be a wannabe, uh, but he, he basically decided that this is his, um, you know, newfound love and hobby. So he placed the, uh, um, the, the keyboard um, in the family room, not too far away from my bedroom. And because my dad was pretty busy throughout the day in ministry activities and probably quite stressed. So he would find, um, you know, a, a quiet time uh, in the morning to play, uh, to practice his keyboard. And knowing my daddy, he went and picked up some books to help him, you know, uh, learn how to practice, uh, you know, uh, this musical instrument. And he would wake up early and by about you know, quarter to six or six in the morning, he was, uh, you know, practicing his craft. Um, maybe he was stressed. Maybe it was his time for therapy. But I tell you what, all these screeching sounds, um, I had to pay for it by the amount of money I had to spend on my therapy to get these dramatic noises out of my head. Uh, so uh, it was cheap therapy for him, uh, definitely expensive for me. And thankfully, that didn't last more than a year or so, and dad returned to his normal self again. And we can tell a muser when we encounter them, can't we? There is, there is two types of musers, those who are real musers and those who want to be. My dad was a wannabe. And I wasn't a wannabe or a real one. And, uh, but you probably know musicians around you. 
And you can, even in a church environment or in a workplace environment or just in, 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 a, in a family circles, and, and you know a muser when you see him or when you see her, they, they usually talk about expensive instruments, the latest expensive instruments, and you know, all the gadgets associated with it. I never, I never seen anybody so willingly and happily goes to a shop and invest that much money on an instrument and be so excited about it. You know, they're excited about a piece of string or or this, you know, thing that's going to make the different sounds or amplify the sound in a particular way. They invest so heavily. Also, you probably know them because they practice so hard. You know, if you've been blessed with a neighbor whose child is, is, is a wannabe drummer, you can hear it all day long. You know, they might be in the garage, but garages are not known for soundproof systems, you know, so you can hear the thunderous, uh, you know, drums around you. They love practicing, intrinsically motivated to practice their instrument. They always congregate with other musos, don't they? You know, you could tell they, they're the ones that are just in the corner talking about the latest songs or whatever they're writing or, or practicing or a new technique. They just congregate around each other and, and, and life is a big musical exhibition. And you know, the funny thing is some of them are shy. Uh, some of them are reserved. Some of them are socially awkward. Let's be honest. Not, I'm just joking. But you know, regardless who they are, once you give them a stage and a mic, man, they come to life. They're like the biggest extroverts in the world. <laughs> it's crazy. They are special type of people, those musicians. And I want to say that discipling is about producing a certain type of people in the world. You see, those mu uh, musicians, they are talented. Not merely they became musicians because they learned musical notes. They didn't become musicians just because they practiced, you know, six o'clock in the morning. They became musicians because they saw themselves as musicians. And as a result of that, they went and learned what to do as a musician, and when they discovered that they didn't have the skills or the competencies or the knowledge, they went and intrinsically found out how to do it better because they saw themselves as a certain type of person. And I want to say Christianity is exactly the same thing. And discipleship is about uh, producing and multiplying and building a certain kind of person, a Jesus-like human being, a Jesus-like human being who displays the image of God in the world. You wouldn't be surprised that this is God's intention for humanity from the, the, the creation. You know, you, you hear that in creation, in Genesis 1, the account of creation, we, we hear that God created humanity according to His own likeness and His own image in a way that we could represent and reflect Him, that we would exhibit His characteristics and that we would do His activities in the world that will be a certain type of people that would show off what God who can't be seen is like. And is it any wonder that when we fell 
uh, away from God and wanted to live our own way, that the only way God was going to restore humanity was to bring the embodiment of that image before our very eyes to show us who God is and to show us who we are. That's the person of Jesus. He lived a particular way. He didn't send us a book. He didn't give us a skill uh, improvement manual. He actually embodied what it's like to be a certain type of person in the world. And that's what he came and died and rose again so that we could have his spirit and his divine nature by grace, whatever Jesus was by nature, we are by grace. Uh, incredible goodness from God over our lives so that we could exhibit the character of God in the world and restore the whole plan that God had for us. And this uh, kind of uh, purpose, this plan of God, this ultimate dream of God should be uh, what undergirds all our efforts in making disciples and, uh, and, and, and you know, the whole uh, idea of discipleship and, and Christians in the world. And we uh, often look at what we call uh, the, the, uh, the Great Commission as a starting point of our understanding of defining uh, discipleship and how to disciple others. And the Great Commission is recorded uh, for us. Uh, the, the easiest one to, to, to memorize is Matthew chapter 28. And it's a, it's a succinct uh, encounter that Jesus has uh, with, uh, with his disciples uh, before he ascended. And he would give them, if you like, the church the, 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 the church's mission statement, the reason why the church, the followers of Jesus exist uh, throughout all ages. And we call that the Great Commission or, uh, you know, the, the priorities that Jesus has uh, for his followers throughout all of history. And this is how it's recorded for us in that biography by Matthew. Jesus saying to his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you to the very end of the age. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in this very simple uh, command, this very simple commission, uh, this very simple uh, mission statement, Jesus articulates for us the definition of discipling. And you probably heard uh, that, uh, that the only uh, imperative in there that as we go, we make disciples. That's the command to make disciples. And you probably are aware that the idea of going, the idea of baptizing and teaching and also, uh, you know, to teach people to uh, live that type of lifestyle that Jesus uh, commanded that we live uh, is probably the threefold 
old strategy of discipling. We simplify by saying, uh, by going, it's basically helping people discovering Jesus that make disciples because we go and share with them the message of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And then we develop them as they get baptized and are taught to obey, uh, you know, the teaching of Christ. And obviously as part of that teaching is we tell them that very commission of Jesus to go and make disciples themselves. Therefore, we perpetuate the cycle of multiplication because they've been discipled. They learn to live that type of life that Jesus lived on earth and then they go and make more disciples. So we see that we disciple others for Jesus. We help people discover Jesus. We help people develop in Jesus and we help people to disciple others uh, for Jesus. They're the three simple strategies uh, of discipling that you can't divide. However, you probably have heard that in order to help people discover Jesus, we go to them with the gospel, uh, with the good news. And I fully understand that's our heritage. That's what we've been taught. And the interpretation of the idea of sharing with people the gospel makes it sound like it's a verbal exchange where we meet with people, whether we meet with them in our homes, whether we meet with them on the corners of the street or on a train station or whatever it might be on, on a campus. And we share with them a, a pre-rehearsed type of a marketing spiel. You see, uh, God created us uh, to, you know, to be with Him forever. Uh, we chose to live independently of God and we sinned. Therefore, we cop the consequences. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is that God sent Jesus uh, perfect uh, in, 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 in His humanity because He is fully God, fully human. And Jesus died on a cross to take the penalty of our sin. And if you open your heart to Him, if you make a decision to accept Him as your Savior and Lord, guess what? He will forgive your sins. He will justify you, means He will declare you righteous, that you don't have to pay for your sin. You have harmony with God. You're in right standing with God. And guess what? Heaven awaits you. And we have packaged uh, this particular statement as evangelizing, as, as, as sharing with people a set of assertions and beliefs about, uh, you know, this uh, concept of salvation so that they can receive, make a decision, an exchange, a transaction. And Bob is your uncle. You're set for heaven. And, uh, you know, it's, it's partially true. But it's now placed in a position of some sort of knowledge exchange that is only there to elicit some sort of a belief response. It's still very external transaction. You get the far insurance to heaven, you see. 
And then we say, but you need to be baptized. That means you need to belong to the family of God. You need to be part of our Christian community. And you need to come to the worship services regularly. You know, back in the day, it was weekly. You know, now the average is once a month. And maybe you don't even go there. You just, you know, watch something online, whatever it might be, um, because of our current limitations and restrictions. And then you say, you know, read the Bible when you can and uh, listen to podcasts and when you can, you can also attempt to serve God in the church or outside the church. Attend a group where you learn more about the teaching of Jesus and, and, and get grounded in Bible study and, and the like. And, and that is uh, more about knowledge and about our behavior. So we, 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 we see a conversion, so to speak, and then we, 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 we our discipling becomes, uh, our nurture of these people becomes all about increasing their knowledge and helping modify their behavior. And then we say, go and do the same thing with others. Go on and help people, convince, persuade people with the spiel. And as soon as they, as soon as they, you know, sign on a dotted line, so to speak, you know, bring them into the church that they get baptized. We celebrate them, and then they engage in in in, in church activities, and they, you know, uh, continue the cycle. And all of this may be well and true and 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 accurate. The point is we miss the one unifying principle that makes this complete and gives it wings. It's the one concept that is that is uh, uh, Jesus mentioned. It's the imperative, a clear idea of the imperative that make the strategies, the imperative makes the strategies meaningful. It's, it's like he said, make disciples. And how do you do that? Do it in this way. But the number one priority needs to be defined as what, the, what did Jesus mean and what did the disciples, the first audience understood about making disciples? Well, you are intuitive enough to know uh, that Jesus didn't need to interpret the word disciple because it was their culture. In fact, these group of people, these apostles, um, you know, they were with Jesus uh, so in some uh, in proximity close to him for at least three years. And they were immersed in a culture, in a religious culture where the idea of discipling was 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 very normal. It was very natural. And all commentators tell us uh, that the idea of discipling uh, was, was, was an idea that Jesus didn't invent. It's an idea that was there in the, in the, in the religious uh, scene that, Je that Jesus entered. And uh, uh, Bible scholars will tell us that throughout the interbiblical period, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and the Essenes established a type of a master-disciple model which really informed the discussion of disciple-making found in the New Testament. What that tells you and tells me that Jesus embraced a model of discipling that his disciples and others in the Jewish um, uh, religious scene were very familiar with. And that is somebody would go to a, 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 a rabbi and they would want to be affiliated with that rabbi because they admired that rabbi. They liked 
that rabbi and they wanted to be like that rabbi. So they would go and say to that rabbi, you know, that, that they wanted to take that rabbi's yoke upon them. And if the rabbi examined uh, the individual and found that they're capable to live the type of uh, life that that rabbi is leading, uh, they would say, follow me. And they literally will be so close in proximity with that rabbi, they will go wherever that rabbi uh, went. They would do what the rabbi uh, did. And they, the intention was to be like the rabbi. That's why, um, you know, in Luke chapter 6 and verse, I believe, 40 or 42, um, Jesus says that there is no disciple better than the teacher. A disciple who is well-trained or mature disciple is like that rabbi, is like that teacher. So the concept of discipling was not about knowledge the person learned from a discipler. It's not just about activities that the person did to emulate the discipler. It was a way of life. It was to become a certain type of person in the world. In fact, some commentators would say, if you attached yourself to a contemplative type of rabbi, that means you were longing to be a person who is a, a contemplative type of a religious person. If you uh, joined a fiery type of rabbi, uh, you, you wanted to become that type of person with whatever else that entailed in the package of being the type of person in the world. And this is the reality, friends, that we are discipling people to be a certain type of person in the world. It's not about know this and do this so you can be this. It's the absolute opposite. We want to help them to see themselves a certain type of person and that would motivate and fuel them to do whatever that type of person does and to know whatever that type of person knows. And just to help you that this is not something unique that I've, uh, you know, uh, uh, springing upon you, most biblical scholars that are read for about discipling who are succinct in their explanation of what discipling all means agree on the idea that discipling is a process of becoming a certain type of person that is becoming like Christ in the world, which is ultimately what God created us to be. So in a few moments I have left, I want to show you just some quotes from scholars that you can yourself research who express this same very idea. Uh, the first quote I have for you here is, discipleship is the process of becoming like Christ. During the time of Christ, this was accomplished by literally following Him and hearing what He taught and watching what he did. This was primarily an idea of becoming like Christ that motivated people to watch him and emulate him in his lifestyle. Another one, another definition or another quote says, discipling is a process that takes place within accountable relationships over a period of time for the purpose of bringing believers to spiritual maturity. The idea here is to become a type of person who is mature and maturity is ultimately being like Christ. Another quote in a thesis, it says, 
a process of becoming more and more like Christ, defining uh, discipling. Discipleship, uh, uh, the, the author writes, involves every Christian woman, because it was uh, a, a, a research about women, uh, every Christian woman reproducing in the lives of others what Jesus has produced in her life. Can you see that this is about being a certain type of person more and more, gradually getting better at being like Christ? Another quote uh, from a, a, a biblical scholar says, a spiritual formation, which is discipling, is the sanctification or transformation that happens during the process of intentional discipleship, whereby followers of Jesus Christ are formed into an ever clearer image of Him. The same concept. The same concept from different authors. And finally, uh, from a, uh, a, um, a biblical uh, a, a scholar, uh, it writes this. It says uh, that discipling is an ongoing process that encourages the believer to follow Christ and become more like Him. When we become more like Christ, we mature. Here is the spiritual maturity concept. We mature as Christians, which is the goal of making disciples. Can you hear it over and over and over again? That discipling is being a certain type of person in the world. It's a process of helping people becoming the very image that God created us to bear. And that's why I want to finish it off by a passage from Romans 8.29 where it tells us God's goal for Christian. It says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. From Genesis to glorification. We realize that from creation to glorification, God had one intention for humanity, and that is that we would live like a certain type of people in the world. We live the image of God, which was resembled beautifully in the life of Jesus. So with that in mind, Go wherever you are. Go and make disciples. That is make human beings uh, who are in the image of Christ from all nations. Baptizing them. That means help them to drain the old, to die to the old, to immerse the old, to drown the old. And to get up in the newness of life. To know that they are now uh, the, the little Jesuses in their world. They live with resurrection power because of the Holy Spirit spirit that indwells them. They have the life of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the sharers of divine nature and teach them, help them to actualize that reality by obeying, by, by collaborating with the Spirit and to do everything that Jesus lived and taught because He lived and taught without disparity. They were exactly the same thing. And surely, and surely God Almighty is with us always to the very end of age to ensure that our endeavors anointed by His Spirit will accomplish His purpose 
on earth. Imagine if we can have clarity of our understanding of discipling, that we begin our entire approach to discipling others by saying, I have one goal, and that is not to give information and teach musical notes, not to enforce practicing music for three hours a day or or even six o'clock in the morning, uh, because all of this stuff eventually frustrates people and it's uh, and and it doesn't reflect the type of christianity that is attractive to others it's more like a therapy for us that costs others to go and get therapy because it's not the version of christianity that brings god to earth in a way that is embodied practical loving caring but it brings theories assumptions assertions and people leave feeling a type of guilt and failure and discontent with a Christianity that promises so much but delivers so little. My my heart for you, my prayer for you is that you would embrace discipling as shaping and building personhood, as shaping and building the ideal human beings, people that live the image of God that they were created to bear. And if you do that, if you commit to that task, the Lord Almighty Almighty will be with you until the end of time. In His name, I pray a blessing upon you. Looking forward to seeing you in our next session. God bless.